How do you know you're up to date? When you follow EMS World, you answer that question with confidence. Because when we say EMS World, we mean the whole world of EMS. The remaining question for you is how will you stay up to date? In print, online, at EMS World Expo, the world's largest EMS dedicated conference, and now in a podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of EMS World Podcasts. I'm your host, Mike McCabe. Today we're going to lean into the topic of disinfection. This practice, whichever form taken, has become so prevalent over the last two plus years, and yet there are still so many questions that exist. What is the best method? What methods exist? Are there standards? What is the difference between disinfection versus just a standard cleaning? Here to answer these questions today is Mr. Sean Fay. Sean is a certified emergency manager, a certified healthcare emergency professional, and he is the National Emergency Response Director for the Halosil Disinfecting Foggers. Sean, thanks for joining us today. Hi, Mike. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Sean, you know, over the last two plus years with COVID, you know, we disinfection has become everything. It, it's sad to say that it's taken a a pandemic to get us into this frame of mind of disinfecting ambulances and rescue vehicles uh, and all of those transportation uh, modes that we you know, utilize on a daily basis. But unfortunately, that's where we're at. Why do you think that it's taken this long to get us into this disinfection practice that really needs to become a standard? Well, Mike, it's like anything else. Uh, we got fire codes when people died in fires. We got transportation safety codes when people died in, in accidents. And we need to develop, we need to take this opportunity and what we've learned here and develop standards for how we're going to take care of our equipment and more importantly, take care of our people in the profession. We look at this and there's been so much that's been put into this. And, and certainly there's been products and solutions and everything that came out during the start of COVID because we were really existing and operating in the unknown. We didn't know. Um, and so we were throwing whatever we could at this to, to protect our people. And, you know, now that things have leveled out a bit, you know, maybe talk a little bit about the cleaning versus the disinfection process and, and what those things entail. Mike, thank you very much. The, so cleaning is just what you, what it sounds like you're removing gross contamination and doing your best to wipe away whatever bugs and pathogens are there. Disinfection is realizing that you can't get rid of all of them. Um, you physically can't fit your fat fingers down behind that groove and wipe it clean. Uh, you can't reach in that nook and cranny. And so you need to find a way to kill what's what remains behind and reduce the threat of disease transmission. There's several types. We, we have the old fashioned spray and wipe and the environmental protection agency, which is the regulatory agency for anything that claims to kill a bug. Uh, of whatever size. The EPA is the one that does the third party testing and says what, what it does do, what it doesn't do and tells you what claims you can make. They're the ones that came back and said, Hey, spray and wipe when done correctly with the right item left on for long enough is about 50% effective. Then you've got systems like UV and ozone, um, UV, it's a pretty good system. Um, 
using what the, the EPA scale of logarithmic kill. And the short version of that is if you have a thousand C. diff spores on that microphone you're about to put up to your mouth, after you expose it properly to a UV light and get it from all angles with no shadowing, you'll have less than a thousand left. Uh, ozone works pretty effectively if you get the concentration right, but monitoring that concentration is difficult. And the line between will kill bugs and will kill, kill humans is pretty close. So the problem is that getting the concentration right and then not exposing your people to it. Now, both UV and ozone are not regulated by the EPA. They have what they call EPA establishment numbers, not EPA registration numbers. And that's simply t them telling the EPA that say, hey, we make something. It claims to kill something. And this is how many we made. Anything with EPA registration number on it has to undergo EPA third-party testing. And they're very stringent in that. Another option there is vital oxide. Vital oxide can be it can be very effective. It's a spray, so you have to spray something and get it, according to the EPA, thoroughly slash completely wet and allow it to remain wet for a certain number of minutes, depending on the pathogen. That tends to cause corrosion, and there's vital oxide systems were removed from one of the largest fire and EMS agencies in the U.S. Uh, over corrosion concerns last year. Um, we've got 35% hydrogen peroxide. It's a vaporizing system. You put it in, you shut everything very well, turn it on, and it will effectively, in about an hour, uh, kill every pathogen in, in your enclosure. Unfortunately, if you open those doors and someone takes a lungful, you're going to need another ambulance. Um, now, the system I like the best, and I used in vulnerable population transport for two years before I ever came to Halosil, was the Halosil system. And Halosil system is very nice because it's 5% hydrogen peroxide. Putting that in perspective, your dentist will give you a prescription for 6% as a mouthwash. Um, and a it also uses a tiny bit of ionic silver. As the machine sends out a dry fog of approximately 7 micron size, it undergoes flash evaporation, which causes it to go from 5% hydrogen peroxide and 95% water to evaporate off all that water. Now you're talking essentially 100% hydrogen peroxide on the microscopic level, talking 0.003 microns in size. And so it's all it's almost 100% hydrogen peroxide with a tiny bit of ionic silver. It's so small it floats on air. It's all negatively charged from the silver. It repels itself and fills every nook and cranny, killing everything in there. Well, pardon me. On a... If you have a thousand C. diff spores that we talked about, or sorry, if you have a million C. diff spores that we talked about earlier, when you use the halosil system, at the end, you will have achieved a six log kill, which means there'll be less than one live one there. Now, the EPA won't let me say zero, but I don't know of another number less than one. But those are the, uh, it's a number statistically less than one. And as far as ease of use, because listen, we, we know how this is in EMS, right? We want something that's easy to use and nothing that's going to complicate. How does this fit in to the theory of the easiest, the best for us? Oh, I mean, if it's a choice between reheating Chipotle and disinfecting the ambulance, I know where I'm going when I haven't been fed in eight <laughs> hours. Um, but uh, it's very easy to use. It's very simple. Slap the suction cup on the back window. 
take the protective cover off, open up every compartment within the ambulance, leave your medic bag open. Because remember, you touched a patient with gloved hands, you reached over to get a four by four, you touched 12 four by fours to get the one you got on there, shook the rest out, and then applied that four by four to the patient. If you leave that bag right where it is and put a disinfecting fog throughout the system, you will disinfect the outsides of those four by fours over again and not compromise the sterility. But anyway, it's outside, set the timer for back of an ambulance, eight minutes, leave the uh, HVAC on recirculate, walk away. When you come back in after the eight minutes, open up the back of the, um, you can open up the back of the ambulance after a little dwell time and you're back in business. You don't have to wipe anything down. There's no residue and it is reached everywhere. And it's important to reach everywhere because you know what? That striker's bolted to the floor and you're not reaching under there. You're not going to expect a medic to reach under there and wipe down every bit of that and get it clean. That's why I like this system so much. We talk about how it's unfortunate that it's taken this long, you know, to, to get its due. You know, we look at hospitals and ICU suites and, and all of these rooms get terminal cleanings prior to putting another patient inside. How has this not been the case? And do you see there being specific regulations and standardization coming down the pipeline with respect to ambulances as we come down the backside of the COVID pandemic. I hope we take this opportunity uh, where we recognize that there's been a insult to the profession in that our people were harmed and our equipment was damaged and we create regulations to cause it, keep that from happening again. As I said, we, we do this there's fire codes because of the coconut grove fire. There's there needs to be ambulance cleaning codes. I don't think that there's any. I I don't think there could be any argument in this. The problem is, and, and you know, I'm wondering what your thoughts are. Is that the profession is exhausted, right? And although now we realize that this is just so important, my fear is that we're just overworked from doing this, you know, so much over the last two plus years, are we going to revert back to those lazy ways? So there's, you're absolutely right. There's a cognitive dissonance going on at this point. It's like, is this really happening? Do I still need to do this? I mean, Ebola was very short lived and we all jumped and jumped through hoops and we had great ideas, but this is a long slog. Um, do you remember back in 1982 that some idiot decided that it would be a good idea to put cyanide in some Tylenol capsules in Chicago and eight people died as a result. Um, what Johnson and Johnson did is they pulled every bit of Tylenol off the shelf worldwide and they sealed the lids. And that is why today your shampoo bottle has a sealed lid and what we've done what, what Johnson and Johnson did is they created a customer expectation that all lids are sealed. And if you open a lid today and it's not sealed, you're looking at it askance. So I think what we're, so now customers expect sealed lids. They expect that extra layer of protection. I think customers and whether that's the EMS profession, our patients, or just people in public areas 
have a new expectation and that's public areas and things that are used to protect the public are going to be disinfected on a regular basis and disinfected properly. Um, when we started this out, there was, we used what we had when we could um, and we damaged a lot of equipment as a result, um, but that's what we had. We're not going to get a pass because it's an, it's an emergency anymore. This is a steady state operation. And OSHA has said that five alpha one, their general duty clause where every employer has to protect his employees from known hazards. Well, COVID-19 is a known hazard. So are a hundred other diseases we should have been protected from, but that's one we're going to have to protect from. And so we need to find a way to do that. That isn't going to destroy our equipment. Uh, and that's available and that our people can use and will use. And that's why I like the halo cell system. Sean, my fear is that the cost and, you know, things being cost prohibitive always makes this difficult for agencies. And unless there is a regulatory component to this, that folks are going to lean on the old archaic way of doing this. You know, what are some of the ways that people can start to refocus on this? And are there grants and things available or that you think will become available so that these agencies can afford to put these types of devices in their units? Yes, there are. Um, there have been from the CARES Act on to the current grants that are available. Um, disinfecting systems have been eligible for these grants um, from the beginning. Um, problem is writing some of those grants is just an arduous process for many, uh, many small agencies. I think that th that the cause is is something that we've become so familiar with now that it's it's something that has become an everyday, you know, element to our job. It's it's something that we never really thought about, but now it's something we think about on every call. And I think that the the halo the halo system is something that's going to be as prevalent and as pervasive as some of these other tools that we have in our toolbox. And, you know, I really, uh, I think it's important to, to know that these types of devices exist, but not just that. I think it's really important to realize and recognize the efficacy of them from a third party perspective. And, you know, Sean, I think that's where you come in because you had use this device and you saw great results with it, correct? I have. I did vulnerable population transport for health and human services for a couple of years. Had about 600 folks uh, in the program working for us. And when I started using the Halosil system, I saw three things. I saw a 31% reduction in the time my employees called in sick, which of course saved me a lot of money on overtime. I saw a 60% reduction in the number of safety related incidents because it's the guy who you're calling at the last minute to cover a shift has the accident he doesn't have his head in the game he's thinking about the game he's missing with his kid and the third thing i saw is when my employees came back and said my family is sick less often i'm not bringing stuff home to them and that was worth every penny we paid because then i retained employees people didn't quit and retraining and replacing an employee is incredibly expensive, especially in the current challenges we're having in staffing in our profession right now. So there's that. Um, the One of the things, again, I liked about the, the system is that I could turn around a box very quickly, whether it was a 15 passenger 
than an ambulance or a charter bus or a charter plane. And these are cleared for use in avionics because they don't, don't harm it, uh, um, electronics or avionic systems. We could uh, just turn the plane around rapidly and not have any worries about repeat transmission or cross-contamination. Well, Sean, the topic is, you know, something that is obviously all important to our industry and something that we're really going to have to start to rethink as we move forward. And as I said, as we come down the other side of this pandemic, because yes, we needed this so badly during the COVID pandemic, but it existed, you know, MRSA, C. diff, hepatitis, all of these things live and dwell in the back of the ambulances. And this is not anything that we should just focus on for COVID. We need to continue to do this. So, you know, Sean, thanks for coming on with us today and going over this because it's so important, as I said. And we're going to stand by and wait for, you know, more of this to come out and hopefully some standardization and some guidance so that we can all implement this so that we have safety for providers across the nation. So thanks again for joining us. Thanks, Mike. Pleasure to be here. And thanks for listening. And just as a reminder, we have EMS World Expo, October 10th to the 14th in beautiful Orlando, Florida. So don't forget to register early. We will see you there for some great content and great speakers. Once again, thanks for listening. I'm Mike McCabe. See you on the next EMS World Podcast. This has been an episode of EMS World Podcast. You can find this audio and more like it on the podcast page of emsworld.com. You can also follow EMS World on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram.